Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have the guitarist and keyboardist for Jameson Rogers, Michael J. You're going to hear his story of growing up in Rochester, New York, the son of a professional musician, and stories from the road with his band Exploding Boy, opening for bands like Joe Walsh, Billy Squire, the Goo Goo Dolls, and more. You'll also hear the stories behind some of the writing of some of his original material, and also what it's like playing on the road with Jameson Rogers. I had a great time talking to Michael. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing real good. So getting right into your story, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, I was raised in Rochester, New York, and um, very musical, I, a very musical household. My dad's uh, quite an accomplished jazz saxophonist, and um, there was a piano in the house ever since I was a little kid. So I started lessons on that when I was three and started on guitar going back to I think it was like the third grade so it's just it's just been in my life and in my my upbringing ever since I was a real little kid for sure other than playing what are some of the first artists or uh, musicians you remember consuming as a kid that kind of got you hooked into music uh, oh man like all the classic rock stuff my uncles were big um well at the time it was just rock it wasn't really classic rock at the time but the Rolling Stones Led Zeppelin The Who the Beatles, of course, all that stuff, um, the Eagles, um, that stuff was just kind of in my periphery because of my uncles. And, uh, when I was a little kid, in order for me to go to sleep and not give my parents hassle, I bugged them until they got me a little radio to put by the side of my bed. And I would listen to that every night. So I'm kind of being older now, I'm kind of convinced that all that stuff that I listened to falling asleep on a nightly basis kind of seeped its way in. So it's like Billy Joel, the Fleetwood Mac, all that stuff that would have been on, on the radio at the time, like classic rock radio is, is kind of still gives me a real, like kind of a warm tummy feeling when I hear it now kind of brings me right back, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Now having your dad be a professional musician, do you have any memories of any like musicians or anyone like big coming around the house to play with your dad or anything? I, I do actually, because, um, Growing up in Rochester, New York, the uh, Eastman School of Music is a huge music school that's there. And my dad was friends with all those guys. So big jazz guys like uh, there's a drummer called Steve Gadd, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with who that is or not. But mm-hmm. uh, Steve Gadd is you ask any drummer and they'll tell you that that he's the guy. He's from Rochester. And he was, oh, cool. you know, he was a, a buddy of my dad's. He actually used to sit in with my father's band when he was an 18 year old kid. This guy, has uh, Steve Gadd, has played with. Everybody from Eric Clapton to James Taylor to like, he's, he's iconic. He's like an iconic drummer. So he was around quite a bit. Although at the time for me, it was just another one of my dad's friends. Um, a guy named Chick Corea, who's a big jazz artist was, was kind of floating and floating around. Um, so yeah, there's guys like that. And there's probably people I don't remember who yeah. were in and around, but yeah, my dad, my dad had a lot of people over always jam sessions going on in the basement, always, shows when i was a kid going out to see him play and all that so yeah. yeah so was it around high school you would say that you kind of started forming your own bands or wanted to play out in your local area when was that 
It was earlier than that, actually. Mm -hmm. I was I was pretty driven to do it, man. I, I met um, this kid who lived across the street named Frank, who had a drum set and was kind of a drummer. His dad, his dad was actually a kicker for the Dallas Cowboys for for a while. Oh, no way. So I started a band with him right away. And then we found this other guy who I went to nursery school with like, like years and years and years before that, who had just who kind of removed into the neighborhood. And we were playing we were doing little concerts for my relatives on new year's eve i think probably when we were about 13 12 13 years old so we were going way back i just always wanted to do it man it was always something that was kind of in my blood i used to take one of my dad's tennis rackets when i was a little kid and i found a shoestring and i tied a shoestring around it and i used to pretend it was a guitar so i would stand <laughs> on my parents bed pretend my parents bed was the stage and kind of like create this little crowd in my head and, and put on fake you know kind of imaginary concerts for for people so it's funny you say that I, I have vivid memories of doing the same thing with a broom on my grandpa's picnic table oh really so, yeah <laughs> it must just be a thing that you do when uh yeah you know, you know it's what you want to do <laughs> so I, what's I it like so. growing up in the new york music scene i mean what a good place to grow up if you want to do music well yeah i mean rochester is, is quite removed from new york city it's about six and a half seven hours outside of new york city but it is it's in scale size wise it's it's maybe not population wise but size wise it's it's about the size of nashville scope wise um so that was great i mean there were all sorts of great bands um and we did get some spillover from new york city and we used to go to new york city a lot to play showcase shows um invaluable man it was kind of like it was sort of a uh perform or die kind of situation like people had a very very much of a do you ever play for a crowd where they they kind of fold their arms and look at you like prove it? I guess Nashville's <laughs> like that kind of. Where yeah. New York was a lot like that, so we had to get really good really quick in order to kind of survive the the climate. No doubt. So the band you said you started playing with uh, at an early age is that kind of what morphed into Exploding Boy? Yeah, yeah. Those got uh, uh, the the drummer didn't stay with us, but the bass player and I were in Exploding Boy for gosh, 13, somewhat, somewhere around 13 years we did that. Now, how old are you when that band kind of starts taking off? Um, super young. Um, I think we started playing clubs when we were 16. In wow. fact, I, I know that. I know that. My mom used to drive us to the gigs. So <laughs> we would we would pile in her station wagon and we'd go play the show. We were in these, we weren't even legally allowed to be in these clubs. And the owners were... At the time, they would bend the rules for us and make sure they put big X's on our hands. And they had actually started doing all ages shows. So some of our high school friends or, you know, grammar school friends could actually come to the gigs that we did. And sometimes they'd put on, they let us put on an afternoon gig mm -hmm. for people, the earlier thing where it was like an alcohol free kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really young, man. And um, I don't even remember the first time I drove myself to a show. It was probably a few years on, a few years on in the, in the band's history and things started taking off pretty quickly after that we found a manager and found some investors and made a record and we were you know, we were recording from the time i was about 15 14 15 years old yeah um in a recording studio that belonged to my manager and um we just kind of hit it hard and and before long we were doing showcases for record labels and you know it was kind of always a bridesmaid never a bride for us though at that, at that point because we were so close to being signed so many times and it was always like kind of right there. And then they would 
something would happen where they would say, nah, you're not really for us or the, the label's not looking for what you're doing at this point. Yeah. But God, I got free lunch on every record label at, hey. at the time. <laughs> at the, now, at, multiple times. So That's good. Now, were yeah. you writing all the original material or was it a collaboration with the band guys? I, I It started out where I was writing the stuff and then the other guys would sort of um, kind of bring in ideas. So it ended up as a collaborative effort towards the end of the band's history but in the beginning it was yeah it was kind of like my you know i'd bring my songs in or sometimes i i bring a finished demo in um and the guys would just kind of cop what i did on the demo and that kind of thing so yeah yeah now you guys got to open for some insane people like billy squire joe walsh do you have any uh early memories like just like watching these guys side stage or any conversations you had with anyone well the joe walsh gig is particularly memorable because i think it's i think he's sober now um mm-hmm. and i'm such a joe walsh fan i'm such an eagles fan oh yeah the, all the guy, all the guys in jamo's band are huge eagles eagles guys but uh joe walsh was particularly drunk that night and oh, i remember him stumbling his way literally through us to get to the stage we played at a place called the china club in new york city that i don't think is there anymore but joe walsh was in fact i have video exists somewhere of this gig and um he is just lit, like completely <laughs> lit on stage doing his thing. It still sounded great, but he was he was pretty loaded. Um, other conversations, I the the Billy Squire uh, situation. He's he's kind of a one of those guys where I don't know whether he's name checked as much anymore as he maybe used to be, and maybe some people aren't really familiar with with who he is or what he did. But at the time, he was a pretty pretty you know substantial artist in in, in the business. For sure, and it was it was my first night, um, kind of. Uh, I think I just turned twenty one, and we got a bunch of free drink tickets, and I was sort of maybe hitting the beer a little bit quicker or a little bit more than I than I should have been. We <laughs> finished our gig, and then the sound guy that night loved what I had done on guitar and vocals, whatever, and brought me to a table with Billy Squire. A guy named Carmine Rojas, who was a bass player for David Bowie at, uh, in and around that time, but also played with, with uh, Billy Squire mm-hmm. and sat me down and wanted me to jam with these guys. Now, I had never really jammed with anybody but the guys in my band, and I was terrified. And thankfully, it didn't end up happening. Something at the end of the night, the, the, the jam session fell through, but I was about to jump on stage with those guys and probably embarrass myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the only real stories I can, I can kind of. I can kind of think of back in you know back in that time yeah now what's that transition period look like where you uh, kind of go out and do some solo stuff after the exit out of the band and kind of that transition period in between that and nashville uh there's a lot of years in between there but um yeah that so towards the end of exploding boys career we've gone through a couple lineup changes and um our original bass player decided he was going to settle down and start a family. And so he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't keen to go on the road. And so we relocated from Rochester, New York to Washington, DC, because the drummers then girlfriend got into school at George Washington and the girl that I was dating was kind of keen for moving as well. So we all just kind of went and got a little house outside of uh, DC in Northern Virginia. And, um, did a, we we sort of morphed into more of a cover band and it's kind of looking back I, I i would have changed a lot of it um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean in order to go on the road in order to play gigs at the time we started out as a purely original band we would play maybe one cover a night or we just we'd pick a select cover that we wanted to do and just kind of throw it in the set 
Mm-hmm. And towards the end of things, it was we were playing 90% covers and trying to throw in, trying to sneak in two of our originals to, yeah. you know, to kind of promote that. So it it was just the way of things. If we wanted to be on the road at that time, that was the way to get into the circuit. And, and it, you know, it, it, it did some good for us, but it also kind of beat us up. And by the end of three or four years, we were doing 300 plus dates in a van in the trailer and we were all kind of at each other's throats. And it was just sort of, sort of time to kind of, to kind of cap it. So I remember I pulled the drummer aside because I went to high school with this guy. He's one of my best friends. And I just kind of said, look, man, like, I don't, I don't want to hate you. I, I love you. I don't want to hate you. So let's, let's go our separate ways. Let's, you know, let's just, let's just put a good cap on it and, and let's stay friends. And that's what, and we did. And we're still, we're still friends to this day. So I followed, yeah, I followed the girl that I was with down to Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd gotten into school there. And so I started doing solo acoustic gigs to kind of put food on the table and got up to the point where I was doing six nights a week and got up to, I just, I, I sort of, I've always worked a lot, mm-hmm. and got really used to that. So I did that for a bunch of years in Gainesville. I met two guys who, um, who I started a band with in Gainesville and we started doing Thursday nights at a regular club there and did very well. And then those guys subsequently moved to Nashville. The drummer is a guy named Tom Hurst. Tommy is drummed for everybody from, uh, I mean, you've, 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 it's a, it's a list too long to mention, but Tom (laughs) is a very well-known Nashville drummer. Yeah. Um, and the other guy is a guy named Chris Nix. Chris is currently the guitar player for Jonathan Davis of Corn. Oh, cool. Um, does his own solo work and just a brilliant guitar player. And so those guys moved here ahead of me. I was still kind of toughing it out in the in the clubs in Gainesville, basically drinking too much and and not really advancing the career side of things. You. And so yeah, so um they just bothered me till I you know, they basically said, look, man, you'll get work here. You'll be doing a lot cooler stuff in Nashville than you were doing, than you're doing there. And you'll make at least the same living, if not a little better living. And they were right. So when I moved to town, they immediately, they were playing with a guy named Chuck Wicks. And mm-hmm. so they got me in with Chuck. And so I started touring with Chuck almost out of the gate when I moved here, which, which is kind of unheard of. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's really, it is really all about who you know, or it's actually, it's all about who knows you. <laughs> now so, when you first moved to town you pick up that gig with chuck are you still trying to pursue like a writer career or an artist career at that point too or were you just trying to maybe be just the kind of in a band at that point yeah i was kind of burnt on on all that stuff when i moved here and um i i sort of put the writing on a, on the back burner and it's, it's just something I, i'll always write and i'll always release my own music that's just one of those things that it's just never going to leave me. And I, I, I don't, I do it for myself. And yeah. if I, if I can find even a few people that like it and, and enjoy it, then that's cool for me. But I do it primarily because I enjoy doing it and I love recording. I love producing. I love being in the studio. I love doing all that. Um, so yeah, I kind of put that on the back burner, man. And I'm, I'm, you know, at this point, I, I kind of realized that nobody was gonna, nobody was going to sign a guy in his early forties. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so it, it was a bitter pill to swallow, but I figured that if I could at least um, stay in the conversation, that would make me happy. And I've thankfully I've been able to do that, especially hooking up with somebody like Jameson, who I, I mean, is an artist I, I, I admire and respect, and I don't know how he does it. He works harder than any of us. Um, so it's been, it's been, um, 
kind of a lesson in diversifying for me since I moved here and in, in being flexible yeah. and in, in not kind of being so rigid into saying, I'm going to be the artist that I'm otherwise I'm not going to, otherwise I'm, I'm going to die trying. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was okay. Well, listen, maybe nobody's going to be signing a guy like me, but I can still write. I can still play on other people's projects. I can still be a sideman till whenever, because that, you know, it, it, I don't think you really age out of that. No, you know? for sure. I mean, touching on your music too. I mean, I think your your solo music is some great work. I love how you just mesh so many different genres together. I mean, you have such a oh, traditional God. country song, like what might've been, or like a rock ballad, like, I don't know you anymore. Do you have any songs that you're most proud of that are in your catalog that you've released? Um, yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, it, it's, well, I'd say a handful, not a bunch. I'm not, <laughs> not that self-absorbed, <laughs> but uh one of the recent singles I put out uh, a song called sunset drive is oh yeah incredibly personal. It's the, basically the story of my growing up. It's the story of my start in music. It's the story of, of my, my dad and I, of my mom and I, uh, of my sister and I, and um, I, I, I would say that that song for me, it, it really, it's, it's almost like I, I, I feel like I took my heart and put it on a plate and then, served it up and that's so so that one i'm super proud of there's some songs that go back a ways um the song called independence day which everyone still seems to like a lot there's mm-hmm. a song called beautiful which which i play to people's weddings oh, wow. um so i those those things i think for me the moments that i've done something that that uh, that has affected somebody else and has has made them want me to play at their wedding i mean that's the biggest honor you could possibly you know, you could possibly get is to play at somebody's wedding and play and, and have a song that they want to use as their wedding song. For so sure. yeah, there's, 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 there's a handful, man. And it's, you know, as you know, I mean, you're a songwriter, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there. Sometimes they're gifts. Sometimes they just drop in your lap, but the majority of the time you really gotta, you know, you really, it's, you have, you have to invite the muse over for dinner a bunch <laughs> of times. Right. For sure. Now, yeah. uh, you also had a time playing with the Freddie Jones band, which is cool because Marty's from my hometown of South Bend. What was it like? Oh, no way. Those guys. Oh, man. So great. So great. It's funny because my band, Exploding Boy, was on the radio in Rochester on some of the same stations that were playing the Freddie Jones band. So mm-hmm. back in the day, I remember we all really loved I just loved the love the guitar work in that band. And yeah. I, it's very, very close to my heart. I, I'm a huge U2 fan. And I think they had lots of like edge influenced kind of guitar stuff going on there as well as like, it was almost like they had like an Allman Brothers side to them mm-hmm. and a U2 side, which, which is kind of a weird marriage, but it works. Um, right. So that was kind of a happy accident. I met their bass player. Um, I was playing with a Canadian country artist for a while. And when I let got, when I got let go of that situ- from, from that situation, I was kind of looking for something else to do. And I met their bassist and he'd mentioned to me that they were looking for a guitar player. And I thought, man, Freddie Jones, man, I think this is a great fit. And um, I auditioned for, for Marty and uh, Marty was here doing some work in Nashville. And um, I sat down and just did a little quick audition for him and the bass player. And he was like, like just grinning from ear to ear and said, man, where did you come from? We need to, we need to do some stuff. And so it was a short lived tenure with those guys, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. we had a, a, a tour that we did just prior to things kind of shutting down. Um, in fact, I'm convinced I had COVID early on with, with that <laughs> whole thing, because I was in all the places you shouldn't have been. I was in 
you know, LaGuardia. I was in Chicago. I was oh. I, just all the, all the, all those airports like in November, December, and early January of of that year. You were case number two or one? Oh, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Hopefully not. But uh, um, but no, it was great, and it's um, I felt like I was able to really showcase uh, guitar wise what I what I do um, in that band more so not that I'm not able, not that I'm not happy in, in the country um, side of things. And JMO's band is great, but JMO's band is much more of an ensemble kind of thing where Adam, the other guitar player does, you know, the majority of the leads and, and as a fine guitar player, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't dream of he, he's handling the, his job. Fantastic. So I kind of, I fill this, this interesting space in JMO's band where I play keyboards and I play rhythm guitar and I sing um, a little bit, but I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a utility guy, but I'm a utility guy. In that yeah. Band. So, um, and happy to, and happy to be doing it. It's, you know, it's great, but yeah, Freddie Jones band was, was, was more, um, I think closer to my, uh, where, where I would put my own music. For sure. Now, on when on you the first, scale. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when do you first meet Jameson then? I've known JMO going back about five or six years now, actually. I like before he had a record deal and um, the other guitar player, Adam, that I, that I mentioned, um, the lead guitarist in, in the band, um, he and I were doing a bunch of crazy van and trailer gigs when I first moved to town. And he was somebody I just got thrown together with um, out on the road and we hit it off immediately. And it was just somebody that um, as a guitar player, like we both sort of know where each other are going to go without having that discussion. Yeah. And we just work really well together. And it's, I think with, in the guitarist world, there's a lot of, um, we can, I think we can be catty, you know, yeah. um, for lack of a better word. I think it's, it's, there's, there can be a lot of that, um, you know, don't step on my thing. I want to, I want to, I want all the attention. I don't know what's, what that, what that says about guitar players. I'm not trying to give us a bad name, no. but um, with, with Adam, just kind of clicked so he subbed me into jameson's band for some gigs that he was unable to do um i think he was playing with somebody um i don't know the name of the band but they were out opening for miranda lambert in some mm. really big places and so um i subbed into jamo's thing and immediately noticed that the music for me personally was just a cut above everything else that i'd kind of been doing with other people it just i found more of a way in I should, mm -hmm. I should say, like, I just, I just related to it more. Yeah. Um, and when Adam was able to come back in the situation, his manager, uh, Jameson's manager, JP made a comment that he loved the dual guitar thing. Cause before that they were playing with tracks to fill up the extra space. And, um, so I did this stuff with Jameson for, I want to say it was a couple of years and, and it was all, it was all van and trailer. It was all, some of the stuff was as Jameson will tell you, I don't want to speak for him, but as he will say, I played one of the worst gigs of his life with him and we did it twice. Really? We played this little, yeah, we played this little, uh, amusement park in, um, I think it was West Virginia somewhere. And it was like straight out of the walking dead. I mean, it was <laughs> under a little gazebo with barely a sound system and there was barely anybody there. And we had to do it two nights in a row. And it was like, it was really kind of scary. Man. And so JMO will say that when I, um, I left the band actually to, to play with the Canadian artist that I was telling you about um, because JMO didn't really have a lot on the books. 
Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I, they made me an offer. They offered me a good chunk of money for a year's worth of dates mm-hmm. um, at a very high rate of pay. And it was just something that at the time I, I, I couldn't really say no to. Um, maybe if it were now, I would, you know, I would definitely think twice about it. But I immediately regretted it. I immediately regretted leaving Jameson's band. Um, about two months after that, he got his record deal. Um, and they got asked to be on the Luke Combs tour and they were out playing places like Red Rocks and all these big arenas. And it was sort of a weird feeling because it's, it's, it's like watching, I, I, I love everybody in the band and I was really, I was thrilled to death to see them be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the kind of thing where it's like, you're seeing an ex-girlfriend date a new guy and right. you're, and, and, and you love her and you're happy for her. But, uh, but it was also like, Oh God, I made the wrong decision. <laughs> um so fast forward to the end of the pandemic when things were starting to kind of open up again adam needed some guitar saddles for a guitar something and we we've always kept in touch on guitar geek shit and it's it's just something we do um yeah and so he sent me a picture of his telecaster and said hey man i need a set of these saddles do you can you recommend something and i said man i've got a whole bin full of those why don't you come over and just take some <laughs> so he came over and we we kind of guitar nerded out. And as we're talking, he's telling me that Jameson's like, look, or that they're looking for to maybe add another member. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, well, you know, we don't know if we want somebody that's just a guitar player or or we're thinking we want somebody that can play keys. And I've been playing keys since I was three. Right. You know, not, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a virtuoso by any means, but I but I can I can make parts happen, which is really all that needs to happen. Yeah. So. As we're talking about this, I'm thinking in my head, because as musicians, I think we're all kind of in our own heads about stuff. I can speak for myself, but <laughs> oh, I yeah. think that's I think that's I think that's pretty correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking he's not asking me to audition. He's not asking me to be in the band because he doesn't he just doesn't want me to be in the band. Mm-hmm. And of course I was wrong. I, so I let him leave my house because I was so in my own head about the whole thing. I was thinking, well, you know, he, I think he knows I play keyboards. Why wouldn't he ask me to, to do this? And so I kind of thought, well, that's it, you know, until the next day when I called my the friend I mentioned earlier, Chris Nix, the guitar player, mm-hmm. I called him and I was kind of telling this story to him. He's like, wait, 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 wait. I, you're telling me that one of your best friends is in your kitchen telling you that he has a gig for you that you fit 1000% and it's all your friends and it's an artist you love and you don't say, I want the gig. I'm like, well, no, he goes, he goes, get off the phone with me right now, hang up, text him, call him, do whatever you need to do. So I, I texted Adam right away and just said, Hey man, like in regards to our discussion last night, like I've been playing keyboards my whole life, you know? And he was like, I got this all caps text back. Oh my God you play keys question mark question mark you know and so he's like you want to audition i said yeah sure and so he put me in touch with jp and thank god i did man because i only auditioned against two other guys mm-hmm. and um i would have been kicking myself forever so i think yeah. the lesson that i learned that's that's most valuable there is if you want something you need to ask for it you need mm-hmm. to and don't be afraid to ask for it because we're all we're all here in town trying to do the same thing we all want gigs we all want to work we all want to work at a high level right um so don't be afraid don't be afraid to go out and ask for what you want and mm-hmm. worst they can say is no it's not gonna you know you're not gonna die <laughs> you know <laughs> right um and um, so and honestly man it's changed my life the last 
uh, two and a half years, about to be three now with Jameson um, back in the band. Um, it's it's the best it's the best touring situation I've ever been in. It's the best bunch of guys I've ever been with. The music is something I enjoy. I don't, I'm not sick of it. There's nothing I hate playing. There's nothing I dread playing. Um, we do, everyone's really happy to see us wherever we go, which mm -hmm. is always, which is always great, you know, because I've slugged it out in clubs for a long time where there was a game on behind me and people didn't want to hear, you know, people were like, ah, can you turn down? Because I want to, I want to watch the game. Yeah. So it's, it's, it doesn't suck. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I, I went and auditioned again. And it was sort of like being welcomed back into the family. I got big hugs from everybody, including Jameson's manager, which that never happens in the music business, man. The managers are generally like, they, they kind of stay away. But this, it's a family. It's more than a band. It's a family. So I'm so grateful, so lucky, so thankful. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great year this year. We're going to be out with Hardy doing a bunch of dates um, as direct support. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be a fun year. Now, Jameson being one of the, like the b biggest writers in country music as well, do you guys write it all on the bus or anything like that? I I haven't written with Jamo. Um, he's kind of got his stable of guys that he works with, and he'll bring guys out on the road on the weekends. It's sort of um, I I have I, I pitched a like a song idea that I had to him a while back, and it was something that just wasn't really up his alley. I just kind of threw it his way for mm -hmm. you know for shits and giggles. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where um he he sort of does his thing and 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 i i kind of you know i kind of stay out of that arena it's uh that's that's sort of his thing you know yeah um, if, if 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 the situation were to come about naturally or if it were to arise in a, in a um in a natural way i would i would be i would jump at it in a heartbeat but it's sort of for me being on that bus and having the guys that he's had out um when i can be uh, sort of a silent observer. It's a masterclass in songwriting. Right. It, it, it's it's I can't um, I can't overstate how great these people are and how good they are at writing songs and the stuff that they come away with from a weekend's worth of just sitting in the back lounge or sitting in the front lounge writing is like would blow like blow your mind. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's crazy. So I've just been I've just kind of taken to when I can observe and not be in the way, um, I just kind of sit back and, and take it in. And our, our drummer has a pub deal assigned to Jameson's company mm -hmm. and does a lot of writing with JMO too. And so Tom and I've talked about writing together, but as far as the artist um, goes and, and that it probably goes for any side band that plays for an artist. I think you have to, you have to, um, I, I'm, I tread carefully because it's just not my, it's not, I'm not in the band because I want to get a leg up um, for my own thing. Um, if, if it happens in a natural way and if it happens sort of by accident, then I'm, I won't, I'm not going to shut that door, but I'm also, um, I'm in the band to play Jameson's music. I'm in the band to promote Jameson Rogers and I'm in the band to, you know, advance his situation and hopefully all of our situations, but right. I'm, uh, it's, you know, yeah, it's, I think you have to gauge it. And Jamo's yeah, a buddy. You know, he's, it's not, he's not just my boss. He's, he's a friend. You know? Yeah. So, and he's, he's more than a friend. Um, but I'm, I'm just very careful with that. So. For sure. Now you touched on the yeah. importance of asking, like when you want something in the music business, I like to close all my interviews by asking just a piece of advice you would give to someone that's maybe wanting to move to Nashville in the next couple of years to be in the spot where you are. What's something you'd say to that person? Um, I would say be flexible. Um, 
say yes to everything, <laughs> um, regardless of whether you think you can, you can rise to the occasion or not. Um, but always give your, but always give a hundred percent, always do your homework. Uh, I can't tell you since I moved to town, how many times I stressed and prepared and thought I was going to be the least prepared person in the room mm -hmm. and found that the exact opposite was true. Um, I was, I'm still shocked by the number of people that don't do their homework and that don't prepare for the thing yeah. because you, you, and, and, and word travels fast. It's a small community. You won't get asked for a second gig or if you get recommended from somebody that, and they've heard that you don't, you know, that you, that you didn't, no one no, put it this way. Nobody will fault you for trying your hardest. Mm -hmm. And if you just don't fit, you just don't fit. And that's the case with a lot of things. It's, it doesn't, doesn't reflect badly on you. Sometimes you, you know, sometimes you don't wear the right t-shirt, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, I would say that I would, yeah, I would say that just, just like, work, work hard and just, and say yes to everything. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Michael J. Michael, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram at Mr. Michael J. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Zach Richard, guitar tech for Brothers Osborne. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.